Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The uh, book that we're going to be talking about tonight is Not For Nothing by Stephen Graham Jones. All right, a little bit about the author, Stephen Graham Jones. Born and raised in Texas, in Boulder, Colorado now. 42, black feet, into werewolves and slashers and zombies. Would wear pirate shirts a lot if I could find them. I being him, not me. Although Livius, I think, would wear some pirate shirts. Uh, totally and probably carry shirt. some kind of sword. Dude, if I would have told you you had to do this without being able to read it off your screen, you probably could have done it, right? Yeah, well, I've read it so many times recently. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, so two episodes ago, we had Stephen Graham Jones on, and not for nothing, we decided to review another book of his. Oh, that was clever. Did you like that? Yeah, so, it was really clever. Um, here's a little bit about not for nothing. A novel written in second person. The town is Stanton, Texas, population 3,000. The private investigator is disgraced Midland homicide homicide, homicide detective Nicholas Bruseman, who's so down on his luck that he's forced to take a job as a live-in security guard for the town's lone storage facility. This is his new life, starting over with nothing in the town he grew up in. When are we going to start talking about you and storage units? Is that going to be later? Are we going to go into the as, book first a little bit? As needed. I, <laughs> for for those of you who don't know me personally, worked for a self-storage company for um, for a number of years, both full-time and part-time, and lived on site. Although I was a property manager and not a uh, not a security guard. Do they have security guards? I've never no, seen a security no, guard. No, no security guards. No security guards at the at the... I, I won't name the the company I worked for, but they are the largest storage facility company in the United States. Well, when you're, I guess when you're in a small town in Texas, I mean, really anywhere in Texas, it's any excuse to give someone a gun, right? That's true, but Nick, our main character, didn't have a gun. All right, so I guess maybe we should talk about the story and clear up some of the stuff <laughs> that we're lying about. <laughs> All right, so... Um, as far as a uh, synopsis goes, it's very concise and very short um, and very true. So uh, Nick uh, is, uh, is down on his luck. Uh, he was a cop for a couple of years, had to give that up because he had a terrible, terrible police record, took on a job as a kind of a private eye and uh, pretty quickly got, I don't know, scammed into doing a job um, that wound him up in, in hot trouble with the, with the law. Yeah. So, um, Having been a terrible detective uh, for his normal job, I guess, well, he was working in homicide and he had never cleared a case. So mm-hmm. he wasn't doing too good with his, his record as a cop. Um, and then the tough stuff happened with uh, his kind of side work in the PI world. He kind of failed his way back to his hometown of Stanton, Texas, um, where he found a job, lucked, I'm assuming, lucked into a job as a security guard for uh, a storage unit facility and um was pretty much content to drink and steal things from storage units until uh just like any good detective uh story people started seeking him out to to get his help with uh with um different i guess different situations that all kind of tied together weirdly yeah, so the catalyst for this story is Gwen, um, now Gwen Gates, who is uh, you know one of the longtime loves of Nick Bruzman, like the, the girl he hooked up with in high school that he'll never, ever forget, um, shows up at his office, air quotes, around office, <laughs> which is a storage unit with like a couch in it, and, uh, and asks for his help um, 
with the situation. She's being kind of stalked, I guess would probably be the right word. She, yeah. She's concerned about somebody that um, is, is romantically interested in her. Yep. She wants protection. Yep. And um, just like any good P.I. No- uh, novel, once uh, once she leaves, almost immediately he's approached by another party who, who wants to hire him for... Um, for different reasons altogether, but uh, the so the second party that that approaches him is Rory Gates, who is the now husband of of Gwen, uh, who used to be Gwen Tracy, who is now Gwen Gates. Um, so he's been hired by both uh, husband and wife to investigate the other each other. Yeah, so Rory, who used to bully Nick in, uh, in like elementary school and high school, um, basically thinks that Gwen might be having an affair, and he needs uh, he needs Nick to look into it. Yeah, that's the setup, and and from there, essentially his history of kind of failing in a direction carries on throughout the book. Uh, everything that could possibly go wrong really does for him. Uh, he ends up being suspected of different crimes and. Um, uh, you got to admire his tenacity though. throughout it. Throughout it all, I mean, he could have walked away in, in, in many different ways throughout the book, and he just decided to keep with it uh, and work his case until he he got the uh, the truth. Yeah, and in this book's the 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 thing that endeared me to this book is is Nick Bruceman. He's he's adorable in his in his failure. Uh, you know, you can't help but feel bad for the guy, but you know he's funny enough and he's likable enough, at least from our standpoint as a reader, that that he's really the motivation for for um, for reading the whole book. Um, yeah, absolutely, and um, so it's not just kind of his present trajectory that we get to see. Some of his ghosts from his past also creep back into uh, things as well. So, uh, for example. One of the reasons that he got into trouble uh, as in a pri- as a private investigator was because he lost, I think, kind of lost a bet on a pool game with a with a guy named Jimmy Bones. And if the if the name doesn't give you enough of an indication, Jimmy Bones isn't the kind of guy you want to owe money to. It's that kind of situation. So, um, owe money or favors to, and so um, he is still kind of in debt to Jimmy, and so naturally Jimmy comes back into his life, and he is just another facet of things that are going wrong for uh for nick you know i'm glad you brought up kind of ghosts of his past because i think the whole book is ghosts of his past you know you've got the 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 high school sweetheart the guy who picked on him um you know the stuff from more recently but you know kind of a touch on issues with his father and then him kind of being back in this town that's um you know, seems like a town that that probably should have existed sixty or seventy years ago, and not modern day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but a lot of that. So you know, he's got a, a high school friend who's still who's still helping him with things. The lady that owns the the okay, I guess restaurant next door to the storage facility. And um, but the best part, my favorite part of all of the people from his past, is there's a cop that is um, a friend of his <laughs> little brother. Who he refers through the entire course of the story is Toby Garrett's little brother. Like he doesn't have right. a name, he's just Toby <laughs> Garrett's little brother, which I thought was just excellent. That was probably my, my favorite thing about you know the cast of characters, which is vast, by the way. Um, right. And he not only mentioned he not only refers to Toby Garrett's little brother that way in the narrative, but also to other characters in the book. So he actually mm-hmm. out loud vocally says Toby Garrett's little brother to other people and then gets yeah. corrected. 
Yeah. At one point, someone actually mentions his name. <laughs> Nick's like, who? What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Toby Garrett's little brother. <laughs> so. But, um, yeah, I mean, and that's, uh, that's you know, story-wise, it's probably about as far as we can go. Um, you know, it, it does become a little intricate. Rob and I talked a little bit about the podcast. I got to a point where I was having a little trouble following what was going on, but it is rather elaborate and involves... Three, six, nine, ten, eleven different characters is just based on the notes that Rob wrote. So there is there is quite a bit of and the the narrator himself um, at one point mentions that you know you almost need like a checklist to keep track of all the players involved and it's it's very true. Um, yeah, but it does carry on the 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 main elements of like a good you know different detective type type thing. Mm-hmm. There are you know um, the things we described about Nick. There's there's murder. There's a little bit of sexiness. Actually, a lot less sexiness than I was expecting. I thought, um, you know, there was going to be more of a love interest angle. We didn't really get a lot of that. Now that I think of it, it um, did apparently have the world's hottest judge ever, though, in it. Do you get that feeling? <laughs> yeah, that's the sexiness right there. Yeah, I, I've been in front of quite a few judges in my life, and I got to tell you, not one of them was was uh, anything like Judge Harkness. Oh, why have you been in front of judges? Mostly traffic stuff. Uh, I thought this Mostly. was going to be like breaking news, like a you know, <laughs> no, a no. huge revelation of some kind. No, dude, there was a few years there where I couldn't like drive anywhere without getting pulled over and being given a ticket. So I think it might have been your car. That might have been it, because you know, since that car's been gone, zero tickets. Yeah, what kind of car was that again? It was. Well, I had two of them. They were virtually the same thing. I had a black Firebird, um, which I replaced with a black Camaro. Yeah. Well, at least they weren't red. Red's the bad yeah. color, right? I think he even says that at some point in the when he's driving when there there's a Mustang in the in the mm-hmm. book and he says, "Well, at least it wasn't red." Yep. All right. So, one of the things that we uh it was mentioned briefly in the in the synopsis, but we didn't really go over very much and I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit here. Um is the fact that the entire book is written in the second person. Um for people who aren't familiar, the second person is basically it's a present tense second person. So, you went to the store, you opened the book, you did this. So the you in this case is Nick Bruseman, the, the, the former detective who's now um, being hired as a, a public and a private eye. Public eye? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that would be. But anyway, uh, so y- the second person is from the perspective of, of Nick Bruseman. And um, I will admit that when I first saw this book and I popped it open, I look, I'm a big fan of Stephen Graham Jones, so obviously I wanted to uh, check it out. Um, popped it open and flipped through a couple pages, and I saw you, 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 and I was thinking, oh, no, this is <laughs> this is second person. This is going to be awful. And then I had to give I give Jones, having read several of his books, more more credit than I would a random author because I know how good he writes, so... Um, I was able to overcome that, but um, to a lot of people, the second person perspective is just immediately a mark against the book. So um, that is definitely something that needs to be pointed out about this book. Yeah, it's the first time I've read anything kind of long form that had second person. And um, in some ways, I I found it to be almost as personal as first person. Yeah, honestly, I didn't have a lot of trouble with it. No, I didn't either. I, I, I thought it actually gave a very good... I don't know. I think subconsciously it puts you a little more in, in Nick Bruceman's position than a, than a third person would. And mm-hmm. then a first person would, if that makes sense. If he was writing it from his own point of view, um, then it's someone telling you a story. And I think this has the effect at parts of, of 
putting you in the story a little more than um, than the other two types of narrative would. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. That um, when you're, for me at least, um, I kind of it, the 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 second person narrative almost fast forwarded my um, my empathy with the main character because I felt like like you said I was in his shoes. So um, it was a lot able, it was a lot easier for me to just be able to identify with bruisman right off the bat and just get going with the story because even from like the first few pages there's a lot of story um and it doesn't let up and and you just you go right along with it because i think that opened that door really quickly to just feeling comfortable instead of having to get accustomed to a character it could just be me i will say that i'm glad this wasn't written from the point of view of a car because there were an awful lot of cars in this book too (laughs) Yeah, there was all these Fords and Mustangs and mm-hmm. a lot of pickup trucks. I, I know that like Jones, I, I have, I always Im- imagined him as a big pickup truck uh, driver and enthusiast. And I think that, um, I mean, this having taken place in the town that he grew up in, this has to be. He had to have brought some of his old, you know, old cars and vehicles in for for the story. Very well, could be. All right, I think that there will be. Um quite a bit of um, recognition as the things we've been talking about as we kind of go through quotes. So um, if you don't mind, I will kick it off. Hit it. Um, this one was just for, I mean, this is just how well defined his, um, his settings are, I guess. I don't know. There's probably a better way to say that, but his descriptive abilities, Jones' descriptive abilities are just excellent. And I love this because as a smoker, I read a lot, you know, when I read about smoking, and sometimes I go, no one's ever done that with a cigarette. That's definitely a non-smoker. You know what I mean? So you recognize these mm-hmm. things that, that, you know, are true or not. And this one, I've never heard it quite put this way. The exhaled smoke rises to the top of the storage unit, goes all paisley around the yellow bulb. That is probably the best description I've ever heard of smoke. That was excellent. I immediately had such a vivid picture in my mind from that. I thought, yeah. I, and I, 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 I too thought that stood out. I've never thought of it that way myself, but I will be hard pressed not to over the next, you know, you know, four thousand packs of cigarettes I smoke. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> All right, uh, <laughs> this uh, bit of dialogue I just liked for its kind of witty and cynical feel. You want to punish me for practicing without a theme song or a sidekick? Be my guest. Been feeling kind of guilty about that one anyway. That was when uh, someone was talking to him about being uh, being hired as a private investigator. I think that goes really well with this next one, which is also really quick. You might even need a little flip notebook soon like a real detective. <laughs> which that reminds me, there's a different part where he's um, he's acquiring information um, by using his old badge like that he had reported lost. Mm-hmm. And he internally thinks to himself that he... Would have been more convincing if he had remembered to bring a little flip notebook along. Yep. That's good stuff. All right. This I just like for the style of writing. To show you he's serious and to make sure you know what he's giving you here, he locks eyes with you again for an instant, and you thank him with the slightest, most grateful nod in the long and colorful history of nods, and then he's gone. (laughs) I really like that one, too. Here's more of that descriptiveness that I... uh that I liked. And this is probably why Rob thought there was going to be a little more romance in this book. 
She stops you with a finger across your lips, the nail just brushing the underside of your nose. It's intimate, almost. You, she says, standing on her toes so her mouth can brush against yours. Her lipstick dry now, a red taste you want to catalog to, particle by particle. That was excellent. I, that stood out to me as well. Yeah, a red taste. That's just fantastic stuff. All right, this is a little glimpse of Sheriff Felson, who is the female sheriff in the town, who um, at some points is the enemy and sometimes the ally of our protagonist. In the doorway, her hand up in the cowbell, patting the clangor, is Sheriff Felson. She lowers her face to you, her eyes so dead you want to smile just as a counterweight. If that doesn't deliver the stone face that she's giving you, I don't know what would. Um, this is uh, this this is great, and this is from very early on. All of these, I think, are, I think I'm six percent of the book now after four quotes. because you don't have any wheels any way to get around all the players are going to have to start delivering themselves to your storage unit Gwen's tattooed lovesick ex-con her mother with a plate full of cookies your dad even though that's not what you want some local badge to cramp your style put a damper on your big homecoming most of all Gwen her skirt getting shorter with each visit Rob, (laughs) what was the thing you thought of when it said all the players are going to have to start delivering themselves to your storage unit? What did I think? Yeah. I don't know. Are you you referring to something I should know? Yes, the last Jones book. Oh my god, I didn't even think of that. The Leaps of My Scars. (laughs) The second, the second I read that, I was like, (laughs) if he just rewrote that book with a guy sitting in a storage unit figuring (laughs) shit out, like, this is not going to be very good, but... (laughs) Yeah, this is just like the private eye version of The Least of My Scars. Yeah, yep. Uh, I didn't even think of that. Um, but I thought that that little sentence would have been a great, like, if there had to be a secondary synopsis, that would have been a really good one. Yep. All right, uh, I just have this one final quote, and this is just pure descriptive style that I, I, I loved. Um, and I'm going to cut in in the middle of a sentence, so it's going to sound a little weird. But it's talking about um, the contents of different uh, storage units. Has a coin dropped little pool table in it. Old skin magazines folded under the legs to level it out. Beer bottles on every flat surface. The sticks leaned in the corner. Their blue tips bunched together like they're talking about you. A little huddling conspiracy of, uh, of pool cues I thought was mm-hmm. uh, an interesting way to go. I'm going to do, uh, I think, just two more, although I have another dozen or so. Uh, I think it's a perfect example. I think I highlighted this one. We probably should have kicked off with this one because it kind of gives you a little bit about uh, about Nick Bruzman. You're not a licensed PI, aren't even sure how to apply for a license, but still, you know enough to know that the woman in the dark sunglasses never tells you the whole story. Oh, it's I was going to highlight that one, too. Yeah, very old school, kind of noiry detective stuff there um and this was probably one of the funniest things i've read in a while um he's talking about uh when he was a cop this is a another um cop that he was involved with i guess uh, maybe an administrative person at the police station last time was in the back seat of your patrol car your second year out because it felt dirtier back there criminal except afterwards the doors wouldn't open up and you finally had to call for help on your shoulder rick Everyone coming out to clap, somebody throwing leftover carryout rice onto the two of you when you helped her up from the patrol car. 
dude, a cop who's getting it on with somebody and locks himself in the back seat is hilarious. That is pretty hilarious. And then um, uh, this one more, just a little bit, because this was a little bit um, more commentary. This is considerably later in the book. And this is all after all the crazy things happen. And Nick has been hired numerous times by various people, all kind of getting to the same you know thing that's going on. And he reflects and, and is thinking, maybe this is something all storage unit security personnel eventually have to face at some point of the job. That's just great stuff. <laughs> now, for the years I worked in the storage business, I never had to investigate anything. I would just like to say either I had the lamest job or maybe a little bit of a reach on some of Bruceman's theories. <laughs> maybe I th- I'm going to lean toward you had a, the lamest job. It's true. I mean, I was involved in like search warrant executions, you know, where they came out with like drug dogs and stuff. And there was that whole dead body in the storage unit thing. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned to you before. Uh, for the listeners, let's not gloss over the dead body in the storage unit. I think that <laughs> I'm not going through this story, <laughs> but I will say that my level of investigation was like when people would come over, I'd be like, you want to see where the body was? You can still see dried blood like outside the unit. So uh, I guess since you're not going through the entire story, let's at least give them this much. Did you see the body? No. Were you there when it was discovered? No. But it was the body was there while you worked there. The body was there, was removed from the storage unit, um, which is when we kind of thought something hokey was going on. And uh, by the time we called, the police came out and the crime scene investigator guys came out. That's when they said, oh, yeah, that's definitely a lot of human blood. So you were employed when there was a body in one of your units is what I'm getting to. I was there that day, yes. <laughs> well, that's um I really don't think I can top that with any of my work stories. Well here okay, so I'll give you a more fun story. It didn't happen to me, but it did happen uh, kind of across town at another unit while I was working there, and this one's much shorter. Um police knocked on uh, the the property manager's door at like I don't know, like eleven o'clock at night and said, Hey, we have a warrant, we need to get into one of these units. So the manager goes out there. They open this unit that's like five feet by ten feet, and all that's in there are three garbage bags. The police open the garbage bags, and there are just bones in all three of the bags. One person distributed to three bags. So it's not as bad as you would think. I mean, that's pretty crazy. But uh, it was somebody who was, they were caretakers for someone old, someone elderly, and they died and figured out that they could keep cashing the Social Security checks if the death was never reported. So for 10 years, they'd been carrying around, like hiding the remains of this person they were taking care of. 10 years? 10 years. What? Okay, I mean, if I got 10 years and after like the, okay, so like let's say the first year or so, and this is mm-hmm. me not being like a, a seasoned criminal or anything, mm-hmm. but if, if I get away for it, with it for the first year or so, I'm just going to take my time and like, do what I can to get rid of those remains so that they never, you know, can be found. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, they said it was something like 10 years and yeah, I mean that they, people weren't even charged with murder or anything. They were charged with, you know, defrauding the government and like failure to report a death. But I mean, the police didn't even think they killed them. Just someone thought it was weird that these checks were getting cashed. And I, I don't know if there was appointments missed or something by the person, but it raised some flags. So when they went to question them and they couldn't produce the person, I guess they just fessed up and said, yeah, well, if you go over to the storage facility in Palatine, Illinois. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So 
listen, lots of crazy shit goes on. That was the one thing I was thinking during this book. Like, <laughs> Bruiseman keeps getting involved in all this weird stuff, but it's all outside. I mean, even though the people, you know, some of the events take place at his facility, you know, he's the catalyst for it. Lots of weird shit goes on at storage facilities, dude. Some of the stuff you find in those units, man, is is defies, you know, logic. He should have consulted you before he wrote the book. He should have. You hear that, Mr. Jones, Mr. Graham Jones? Anytime you need. When you're doing the sequel to Not For Nothing called All For Everything, um, I've, totally <laughs> got, I've totally got the storage stuff for you. The second book is just going to be called Aardvark Custom Economy Storage. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Even people were like, I don't understand the custom part. <laughs> he's like, he's this, yeah, like probably yeah. minimum wage guy. He's probably mm-hmm. like earning a place to sleep. Mm-hmm. And he has to constantly um, defend the name of, you know, everybody gives everybody gives him artwork because it puts him at the top of the list. But like, everybody's got a problem with custom. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hilarious. All uh, right, Rob, let's wrap this up. All right. So, I love Stephen Graham Jones, and I've read several of his books now, so uh, going into this, I was pretty optimistic about what I was going to get. Right off the bat, you get the second person, uh, the present tense second person narrative, which uh, may be enough to turn some people off to the book, but I think that's just kind of narrow-minded. Like, if you you write a good book, the tense really shouldn't be enough to change the impact of the story, so... Um, I was still optimistic going into it. Uh, I hadn't really read like a PI slash detective style book from Jones, so um, was interested to see what that was like. And it was very nice. I knew a lot of the uh, backstory of why he chose the setting, which is um, kind of where he grew up in the area of where he grew up. So it was for him a little bit, for the author at least, a little bit of a like an, a homecoming uh, by using that setting. So. Interested to see how it all turned out. The we've had books in the past that were, you know, essentially private eye stories that didn't really go too deeply into the private eye aspect of it, and that was a little bit of a disappointment. And this book throughout um, is is very faithful to the fact that this is a person who was hired to solve a case, and he doggedly follows it to the end um the i like the, the development of the characters the the interwoven um you know uh people from his past people from his newer past and how it all kind of tumbles together the the story had a lot of, we didn't really mention this but um the story itself had lots of twists and turns and lots of intrigue involved and the mystery aspect of it was very strong uh, to the point that in certain cases it was a little bit on the confusing side, but overall um, really worked for me, even if I wasn't 100% sure of how everything ended up working out the way it did. Um, I guess all of that is to say that I really dug the book, and um, I'm going to go four stars on it. All right. I was completely distracted by a link Rob put in, which is a very extensive write-up um, at Stephen Graham Jones' site, demontheory.net, on Not For Nothing. I think it's the exact same length as the book. Do you look at this whole thing? Oh, it's huge. <laughs> so, so I didn't hear anything that Rob said, so maybe I'll repeat some of what he said. Um, I, I, I wasn't skeptical about the second person. I was intrigued um, by it. Um, and I found that I really enjoyed it. I, I thought maybe there were a couple times where I was a little confused by the the, the tense 
a little bit. Not that it took away from the story, but there were a couple times where I went had to reread a sentence or two to kind of figure out where I was and what was going on. Um, and the cast of characters uh, was lengthy um, and confusing for me in some parts. Now I'm not that bright of a guy, so it may not confuse everybody else. So don't don't take my word for that. But overall, um, I did find it to be very interesting. It was very kind of um, traditional in the PI storytelling, I, and you know. But um, what was great about this was the characters, and specifically Nicholas Bruzman, who is um, excellent. And I would be happy to read another book where he is, <laughs> where he's trying to figure out a crime and getting worse and worse at it as he goes. Um, it was funny enough in parts. Um, definitely had that kind of uh, crime slash mystery vibe to it. Like you wanted to find out what happened, and you stayed with it the whole time, um, interested in who did what to who and, and what occurred. And I did catch Rob saying that, you know, um, not being really sure it all came together. Um, yeah, it was pretty goddamn elaborate is, is how it came together. And it's nice to see somebody that can pull that off without, um, without it seeming really overly manufactured. So, um, a while ago we read that, uh, that JK Rowling book. What, what did she write that under the, the private eye? Robert Galbraith. Yeah. The, the Galbraith book. Which also had that very traditional PI feel, um, with a slightly more likable detective. But this actually is far more unique, not just in the way that the story's told in third person or in second person, but in uh, I, I think just the resources that that PI has, which is zero because he's got almost no money. And he doesn't have a car. And he's got to figure out ways to get around. And like I said, he's just very endearing in that way. So I'm gonna. I'm going to echo Rob's rating of four stars. See, now, Rob, if there are pictures of me and Stephen Graham Jones from Seattle, that probably would have earned another half star. So I don't know if you really thought it was three and a half or if you're just not giving him his due. Uh, that was an impartial uh, uh, four star. It wasn't influenced by any type of cool hangouts. Oh, okay. Is that something we're supposed to do? Wait, impartial? What? I have to look yeah. up impartial. Oh, yeah, hey, you've never been impartial. How do you... How do you pronounce the word i guess i could look up our british pronunciation guy the the roads they were all c-a-l-i-c-h-e oh uh <laughs> i don't know did, did you have to look that up the first time no i just assumed yeah. it was a like a desertish type of road all right here we go let's see how to pronounce well i'm not gonna say because i don't know how it's gonna take a second here i'm gonna mimic um this caliche according to emma saying on youtube you have to wait 10 seconds for it to actually say the word. That's what that pause was. Kalichi. Kalichi. Oh, I thought that was like a character from uh, Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> could be. You never know. I thought could be a cool reference. I don't know exactly. Um, all right. So that's going to ramp up the review part of it. I will say that uh, Jones, uh, I do have an interview with him in uh, the most recent Crime Spree magazine, Crime Spree issue number 55 where we primarily talk about his book, The Least of My Scars. Um, however, there is going to be, it is going to also go up on the Crime Spree website sometime in the near future, I believe, and should also uh, include a little thing that, uh, I'm not sure the exact title that's going to land on, but uh, Jones wrote up a 10 essential private eye skills uh, thing that's about uh, three or so pages long. It's got 10 different uh, bullet points of things when you're writing a private eye story. That the, the the actual private eye needs to you know you know be skilled in, and uh, it, it's really interesting. And you can tell that when when Jones writes anything or chooses to be a part of any type of of you know genre, that he really does his research and he really gets what he's writing. So um, once that becomes available, we'll put it up um, 
on Facebook and stuff like that so that you guys can check it out. I read through it a couple times, and it's just fascinating to see his perspective on what makes um, a quintessential private investigator like a fiction PI. I have uh, breaking news from the booked newsroom. Um, Stephen Graham Jones did link to an article or an interview in Crime Spree magazine just eight hours ago. Yeah, that's the print version. Gotcha. So that's available now. I'm sure there will be links. And one more time, Livius did mention it really quickly, but uh, Jones does have on his website uh, some kind of behind-the-scenes information about the writing of the book and a little bit of the history of it. It's been something he worked on for several years, and so you can see um, not only the, the genesis of the book, but also a lot of the source material that inspired it. Pictures from, uh, what is it, Stanton? Mm-hmm. Stanton, Texas. Um, inf- you know, little uh, tidbits about his, his uh, life as a kid, information he got from his family and stuff like that. It's kind of a longer read, but... Um, if you read Not For Nothing or are interested and want to see um, if it's something you'd be interested in, this is a really nice piece uh, to check out to get a little more of an insight of what inspired the book to be how it is. We'll definitely make sure that we have links to that in the uh, post for this episode so that you guys can go check it out. All right. it's enough Stephen Graham Jones for a month or so, huh? Yeah, we have enough of that guy. <laughs> until my interview comes out and I keep plugging that. Yep. That's more of a me thing. The uh, Let's talk about our book. Can we talk about our book for a second? Absolutely. I'll talk about our book all day. All right. So um, the book anthology was free for five days celebrating our 200th episode slash three-year anniversary. And Rob, you're the, you're the stats guy. How, how did that work out? So in the course of five days, we gave away over 450 copies of the book, um, which put us um, at the highest point in the in the charts. We got to number 925 overall for free in the Kindle store, which I think is not too bad. Um, mm-hmm. Number five overall in uh, anthologies for uh, free anthologies. And all these are free categories. And number six overall in uh, literature collections. So... I, you know, that's the thing. In, in the overall free, and I talked to a couple people over the course of the last week where we were doing this, and, um, you know, the hope of getting a collection or an anthology any higher on the list is, is pretty slim, just based on the fact that not as many people, ourselves included, are as into, you know, collections and stuff as they are into straight-up novels. Yeah, so the fact that our collection got within the top thousand of overall free books, I think... Um, I'm, I'm going to take that as a win. I think that was that was very good. And I mean, really, the big win is that there's now over 450 more people that are going to read those the book and and enjoy mm-hmm. the excellent stories uh, that are that are you know pulled together for them. Yep. So if you missed out on that, just buy one the old good old traditional way, and you can buy that in uh, in print at Amazon.com, and you'll get a free copy via the Amazon Matchbook program, an e-copy. Um, or you can just buy an e-copy. That's what I would do. It's my book, and I was like, Rob, can I just buy the digital version? And he was like, stop being a prick. You need to have paper copies. Yeah. So I have paper copies, but only because Rob made me. I didn't want to buy a paper copy of my own book. So buy the e-book. Buy both. Yeah, buy both. Give give the paper book to someone that you don't love because they'll get finger cuts, finger, pa- um, paper cuts on their fingers. Sharp pages in that book. 
Uh, <laughs> um, sure. As long as they're buying it, I don't really care what happens. <laughs> you can yeah. use it as a doorstop. Just, just pay. Yeah. Just pay. It's 400 pages, so you could really like prop a window open with it or something too, if you needed to. There you go. Yeah. All right. So next up on booked is going to be Rotten at the Heart, which is a book written by uh, some weird dude named Bartholomew Daniels. Which essentially is, which is kind of interesting, it's it's a book where Shakespeare, William Shakespeare is a detective. Am I right about this? Yep. Yep. An unwitting detective, I believe. Sounds weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I could say is today I saw the release date for the sequel, and we haven't even gotten to the first one yet. But by Christmas. <laughs> I know. It was the like, second uh, Bartholomew Daniels book is going to be out. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Like, I, I'm... Cruising through Facebook today, and Bar- Barty, we've, we've been um, lovingly calling him Barty Daniels instead of Bartholomew, mm-hmm. um, just happened to run across him announcing the second book, and I'm like, come on, dude, I haven't even read the first book yet. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so that's what's, off. that's what's next on Booked. Um, until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.